0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org.
1: Man, I am really excited about sharing God's Word with you this morning, but before I do, let me just remind you of one thing. Do you remember last year on September the 11th, we had this day where we started a 40-day journey together. We called it the Fall Campaign. We had lots of people on that day, but many of those people were people that you invited. So here's what's gonna happen when we get to September the 10th this year. It's gonna be one of the greatest days we have ever experienced as a church. And here's what makes it incredible is that we come together saying, God, I wanna grow in my faith. I wanna become more like Jesus. I wanna learn to love the things that I should love. I wanna be the kind of person that you'd have me to be. And so we will begin a journey together as a church to do that. The other thing that makes it great is that you bring people with you. So there are many people, and when I say many, I don't mean a handful. I mean many people who came first on September the 11th, a year ago, and they are still part of this church and they're growing in their faith. And so I don't know who God's going to put in your heart. But I want you to begin praying now about who you bring with you on September 10th. And here's what you do. You don't give them some cheap invitation to church that says, hey, why don't you go to church with me? You say to them, we're going to do this thing at our church. It's a 40-day journey. It's a six-week deal. Why don't you come and let you and I do it together? Okay? And it changes everything. What we learned when we invite people to do that, many of them say, okay, I'll come. Because they want community in their life, and they want friendship in their life. And when you offer to walk with them for 60 days, it amazed me last year how many people came, some to church for the first time in years, and they came for six weeks in a row, and then they kept coming to church. And so, you begin thinking with me, mark the date, don't let anything get in your way, you've got to be here on September the 10th, and begin now praying about who it is that you could bring with you on that day, okay? All right, so... This morning, we are going to talk, as we continue this series, what do I believe we're going to go to this idea of prevenient grace? Did I just lose anybody? Prevenient grace. How many of you would say, I think I have a really good understanding of prevenient grace? Raise your hand just really high where everybody in the room can see, okay? Have a really good understanding of prevenient grace. Okay, you can put it down. How many of you would say I think I have a good enough understanding that I could explain it to somebody? Hands really high in the air. It's a little less. Let me put your hands down. Let me ask this: How many of you would say I have a good enough understanding that I could come up where you are, take a microphone, and I think I could explain to everybody here pretty well? Hands really high this time. I got one back there. Not too many of you willing to do that. Okay. So I guess I'm going to ask the same question I ask every week. I wonder if there's somebody sitting in front of me saying, Hey, Rick, what if I don't know what it is that I believe about prevenient grace? So I want to talk about it with you. Are you ready? In December last year, Dr. David Busick, your former pastor, was here on a Sunday morning, and he tells a story about being in a country that was predominantly Muslim. But the Church of the Nazarene is also in that country. And the Church of the Nazarene is growing like crazy. Lots of people are coming to Jesus. And so he met with this group of pastors. And he said, I'm so curious to know, what is your evangelism plan? How are you sharing Jesus with so many people? And the pastors were kind of reserved and quiet. And finally one spoke up and said, Well, actually, Dr. Busick, they are finding us. They're coming to us. Here's what they say to us at night, while we're sleeping, we have dreams, and Jesus comes to us in our dreams. And so they come and find us who are Christians, followers of Jesus, and say, Can you help me know this Jesus who comes to me in my dreams? Now that's a great understanding of prevenient grace. Okay? The the word prevenient really means to come before. So it's something that somebody does first, all right, before something else happens. That's what the word provenient means. It's like somebody does something first and then that allows something else to happen. And so here's what we believe. That because of original sin, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. What happened in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned because of the fall. We have fallen so far from God that on our own we can't even turn to God. We don't even know that we need to turn to God. But God gives us grace, what we call prevenient grace, which enables us to turn to Him and believe in Jesus. Now, if that was hard to understand, I'm going to give you much more simple language. And this is the language of Jesus Himself. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, Nobody, 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 nobody can come to Me unless the Father draws them. Now, that's a great way to understand prevenient grace. Jesus says, nobody, nobody, nobody comes to me unless the Father draws them. So that's what prevenient grace looks like. So let me give you one more illustration. Travis Rhodes, hop up real quick and come running up here. And uh, I'll probably regret that I called on you, but we'll give it a shot. Uh, that is not a run, uh, but, you're you know, come on, we're trying to get... So stand here, if you will. Um, X marks the spot, and I'll stand over here. And so, let's say that Travis and I, we have had something become between us in our friendship. Okay, so we're not, Travis and I are not doing okay. We've had we've had you know a hiccup in our friendship. And so, so here here's the way that I think about restoring that friendship. I would say, Travis, would you meet me halfway? <laughs> and you don't know. So so that makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Is that fair? Like, meet me halfway. So, Travis, would you meet me halfway? So here he comes, all right? And so here we are. And, and so if that is your picture of what it looks like when somebody in their relationship with God is made right, that is the wrong picture. All right? Can you go back? Here's what it looks more like. So I'm me, I'm Rick, and Travis represents God, okay? And so here's what happens. God comes all the way to where I am. And He reaches out to me in love. That's what it looks like. That's prevenient grace. I can't turn to God on my own. I am so far fallen in my sin, the sin I was born in, that I can't turn to God. And so He comes all the way to me. Thanks so much, Travis Rhodes. All right. So how many of you would say, already in a few minutes, I think I have a little better understanding, hands really high, of prevenient grace? How many of you would say? It's getting a little more clear. Okay, let's go to Romans, and we're going to talk about why we believe what we believe about prevenient grace. Okay, Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, start reading in verse 18, all right? So Paul writes to these people, and he says, although you're not Jews... You belong to Jesus. Gentile people, you belong to Jesus. And he talks about the great power of the gospel. Now, the reason he talks about the power of the gospel is because there is a dilemma with the human race. And here's what the dilemma looks like. You ready? Chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Not really a verse you want to memorize for a rainy day, is it? I mean, if you're going to memorize a verse, probably not going to pick that one, right? The wrath of God is being revealed against mankind because of all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, listen closely. Since, and the context is so important that what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. How did he do that? Well, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, the truth is, you know a lot about God. Because God made it plain to you, just in the creation of the world. For although these people knew God... They neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images like set up these images to worship. Idols made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So do you see the dilemma? It's like... God's wrath is being revealed right now in our world because people have suppressed what is true and, and 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 have lived these godless kind of wicked lives. I know that's tough language. And and although we can actually know a lot about God just through what He has created, we don't really have an excuse. But as we have suppressed the truth, we have kind of become confused in our thinking, and and our hearts have become kind of dark, and we have misplaced our worship. And that summarizes the dilemma of the human race. I'm really excited to talk to you this morning, okay? So here we go. Suppose my wife Annette and I are over at Penn Square Mall, and we're doing some shopping and we get hungry and we go to the food court and we get something to eat and while we're in the food court kind of a crowded day and so there's tables you know how they just are next to each other you sit really close to people you don't know and there is a lady sitting beside us and she reaches over while she's all up in this sandwich and she thinks she's putting her wallet back in her purse but she actually puts it beside her purse it doesn't go in the pocket And finally she finishes and I notice what's going on and she gets her stuff together and she gets up to leave. And I say to Annette, don't say anything, but she is about to leave her wallet. And sure enough, she stands up without it, puts her purse on her shoulder. We watch her weave through the maze of the food court and out and she disappears into the mall. We got her. Annette. Looks around as if nothing is up and just reaches over and rakes the wallet over into her lap. Slides it into her purse. Notice even in this make-believe story, I have Annette doing the crime, not me, because if the police get involved, I don't want anything to do it. Sure enough, we get home and we open the wallet and there is cash, a lot of good, green, cold, hard cash, and we ditch the wallet. That's the kind of pastor you want, right? That's who you want leading you in your spiritual journey. Now, let me ask you a question. If that had happened, which of course it didn't, but if we had done that, did we do anything morally wrong? We did? Okay, I want to argue with you a little bit because I think if you snooze, you lose. I didn't tell the lady to leave her wallet laying there, right? I mean, she's the one who made the mistake. She walked out without it. I'm just taking advantage of a situation that God has kind of put in front of me to bless me. You know what I'm saying? So let me ask you again. Do you really believe that we did something morally wrong? Wow. Okay, I agree with you. If we're going to talk about prevenient grace, we have to start talking about the fact that you and I were created. Genesis 1:27. we were created in the image of God. So you say, Rick, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but one thing that it means is that we were created with the ability, you ready? To know right from wrong. You ready for that? You good with that? You were created in the image of God. And that means you have the ability to understand the difference of right and wrong. You. You were created in the image of God with the ability to understand the difference between right and wrong. You, my friend, were created in the image of God with the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. Now, here we go. Next step is a little bit harder step to take, which means you now have moral responsibility. That means that there are consequences for moral wrong choices. You have moral responsibility. See, everybody believes in right and wrong. You are made this way. You can't help it. Even in society that says, well, who am I to say that that person is wrong? Why do you think we have prisons? Because everybody has a line. And at some point, everybody's going to say, now that was wrong. Even in a society where we're all very careful that we say, well, now who am I to say that that person is wrong or that's sin or that's wrong? Everybody has a line because at some point everybody says, okay, now that's wrong. We need a jail for that guy. Now here's the problem. Although we were created in the image of God to worship, honor, serve, think, glorify, live for Him, The human race has lived in rebellion against God. Okay? Original sin. Paul uses words like this to describe that rebellion godlessness. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what God says. I don't care what God wills. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care. I'm not into God. And he says what happens as you translate that into life, it affects how we live with each other. Wickedness. Okay? So that's where we are. That's the state. Now the problem grows according to what Paul is saying. And the way the problem grows is that now we have to deal with the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed. So when you hear the word wrath, do you have an image that you get in your head? Is it like... uh, Smoke and fire coming out of the nostrils and the ears of God. Temper is getting ready to blow. Ego has been bruised. He's going to get a pound of flesh from somebody getting ready for some kind of a emotional reaction from the God who created everything. Because what's interesting is that Paul never uses words like Anger. He never thinks in terms of God being emotional in that way, reacting. In fact, in the next chapter, he talks a lot about God. And you know what he says about God? You know how he describes him? He says that God is patient. And God is kind. So I think what Paul does is gives this brilliant illustration. Brilliant about the wrath of God so he says if you just look at the world God made you learn a lot about God okay so let's think about creation and the world God made there are certain laws one law would be gravity right so I'm holding in my hand a legal pad with a cover on it okay and you and I know that if I drop this legal pad if I let go the earth is going to suck it right down to itself at a very rapid speed, right? Here's the way it works. See that happening? really can't deny the law of gravity, can you? So that's what happens. When you, when you drop something, now imagine with me that I'm standing on a tile floor and this is a glass plate. And if I let it go, what's gravity going to do? It's going to suck it down so fast that it's going to break, right? Natural law. I mean, I mean who's, who's going to argue with this, right? This is gravity. So, think about agriculture. What if a farmer says, I'm going to ignore the laws of agriculture. We're not watering anything this year. Turn the irrigation completely off. We're not using any fertilizer, and we're not going to worry about the insects. What's going to happen? The crops are going to fail. I mean, think about this body of mine. What if I said, I will no longer care for this body. I'm going to break The laws of physical health. I'm going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. I'm not going to exercise. I'm going to lay around on the couch. What's going to happen? My body is going to suffer. Paul says, think about this for a minute, okay? You don't understand the wrath of God being revealed? I mean, just look at creation. And and there's one scholar who says it this way. His name was Barclay. He died years ago. But he says, it's apparent as we look at the world that God created, that sin is followed by suffering. And what we're seeing right now in our world is that the wrath of God is being revealed against godlessness and wickedness. So when you break the law, when you sin, you can just look around at the world today and realize that nobody has to be brilliant to understand That suffering is going to come. Okay. Good question as always what are we going to do with this? I remember a few years ago conversations with a girl in her late 20s who was coming out of drug addiction by God's unbelievable grace. I remember conversations, lots of conversations over a few year period with her. And she says, you know, I, I knew, I knew right and wrong. Because we, we all have the ability. See, we were creating God's image. She knew right and wrong. She said, but I really wanted to challenge my parents' teaching and the church's teaching. And even though I grew up in church, I just, you know, I, I wanted to do some things I wanted to do. She said, you you know, you can convince yourself of lies. You eventually begin to believe your own stuff. And she says, I became a person I never thought I would become. And I began to worship and serve something I never thought I would worship and serve. But she said, Pastor Rick, I got to the point in my life that I would do anything, anything for drugs. And I did the most degrading things a young woman could do for drugs. Now hold on to that story, okay? Because what we see in this understanding of prevenient grace is that we have fallen far from God. David in the Old Testament, Psalm 51, says it like this, Surely... I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I was born in sin, fallen so far from God. Okay? The problem is we have the inability to fix ourselves. I can't fix my situation. Unable no ability to do this on my own i can't even turn to god on my own that's the dilemma that's the problem that i'm in i can't fix my situation i can't fix myself so what do people do and and this is what paul deals with in this second paragraph he says well you know and you'll get you'll you'll laugh when i tell you because you're going to see yourself in the story but paul says what you people do is they say you know what uh i got this <laughs> really seriously I can I can, I can, I can, I'll deal with it, okay? I got, I got it, I'll figure it out. And he says they become prideful in their wisdom. And he says they suppress the truth. Like that girl I just told you about a moment ago, I knew right and wrong, but I said, I, I don't want to hear that, I'm just going to kind of push that down, you know? I know what's right, but I'm going to push it down. I'm not going to pay attention to that. And before long, Pastor Rick, I think you can convince yourself of your own lies. You don't know what you believe anymore. And my heart became very dark. And I worshipped something I never thought I would worship. And maybe you see yourself in the story. You remember a time in your own life when you say, Pastor Rick, I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong. And I just pushed the truth down. I just kept pushing it down. Because there was something I really wanted to do. And I told myself something else. And pretty soon, I became a little distorted even in my own thinking. Wrong became right. And over time, my heart became darker and darker. And pretty soon, I found myself worshiping money or sex or power or a boy or a girl or something that I should have never worshiped. I'm just giving you language right out of that passage of Scripture. That's the progression that he identifies. Now, what if instead... You would have responded to God's grace. When he came from there all the way over to where you were, okay? When he showed, what if you would have responded to his grace? And what if, I'm giving you language out of the passage again, you would have accepted the truth, his truth, and what if you had worshipped him only? See? Because I think there's probably a lot of people in the room in front of me right now who are saying, hey, I'll just admit it right here, okay? Because I'm just going to tell you, he came to me. I know what prevenient grace is because I, I was over there and he came all the way to where I was. Talked to me, spoke to me, drew me, wooed me, loved me. Rick, I can remember going to church at times and just almost shaking during an invitation at the end of the service because God was... Talking to me, loving me, drawing me, wooing me, saying, come on. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who would say, I get prevenient grace. I mean, would it be too much to ask you, you been there? You know what that feels like? And here's what happens. People respond You know, and I'll watch people's lives changed in front of my very eyes. I said to Annette not long ago, I said, Annette, just look at that guy right there. We are watching God change a man's life in front of our very eyes. I'm going to give you a couple of pictures, okay? The first one... um, If you have a queasy stomach, uh, watch with caution. Here we go. That's a bad break. You see the before? Brokenness. You see what happens after? Restored to the original intent, right? I love the next picture a lot. Broken. (laughs) Restored to its original intent. N.T. Wright's a New Testament scholar, and this is the why we do this, okay? He says that God created mankind at the center of creation. And he gave you the position of ruling over all creation. But N.T. Wright says, when, when man goes wrong, the whole world is out of sorts. Not only are you out of sorts, but the whole world is out of sorts. But when you respond to this prevenient grace and you accept God's truth and you worship him only, the kingdom of God becomes reality in your very life and on this earth and you are put back to what God intended you to be. The brokenness gets fixed. And then you live life. One more story, and I'm all done. Uh, this is just a story that just kind of gives you this other picture of prevenient grace, okay? I was with a, a guy. This is kind of crazy, but he's just moved to Oklahoma City. And he's working at a church in the area as a youth pastor. And he was a kid, a, a child. And, and he attended a church I pastored years ago in Tennessee. And so in that night, took him to dinner, he and his wife. And honestly, I don't even recognize the kid. He doesn't even look like he did when he was, you know. I wouldn't have known him if I'd seen him on the street. So we're sitting there talking, and we're remembering those days when he was a, a, a child growing up in the church. And he goes, I tell a lot of your stories in my youth ministry. I said, no, really, what, what stories do you tell? And, and he started naming stories. And, and at one point he says, uh, one of my favorites is the story about Freddie. And, man, when he said the name Freddie, it was like it was like. Something just came over me. It was like standing in a warm shower on a cold winter morning. You know, it was just, oh. So one day there was a lady who worked for an adoption agency. She had been working with this husband and wife who were unable to have children to get them ready for adoption. They had gone through all the training. The last deal was just, I'm going to come by your house We call it a home inspection. But um, I'm sure everything will be fine and we'll talk about potential children to to adopt. So she says, I pull up into the drive and I get out of the car and I go into this humble home, but everything was clean and nice and it was beautiful. Very humble, very small. But everything was in place. Smell of cookies baking in the oven and you could tell they were Nervous and excited about the visit. The wife did most of the talking. We don't have a lot of money, but we have a lot of love to give. My husband, he drives a truck and I don't work outside the home, but, uh, but we have a lot of love. What we don't have in resources, and our house is kind of small, kind of humble, but what we don't have in that, we have a lot of love. My husband was a great basketball player in high school, and he would love to have a boy. He would love to have a boy because he would love to teach the boy how to play basketball. That's what we really want as a son because he's always wanted a son to teach to play basketball. He was a star basketball player in high school. She said, I knew their home was fine. I told them I thought we really should talk about candidates, possible children to adopt and she said, My heart began to beat faster because I knew what I was about to do. I was about to give them a picture that I'd given many families, and everyone had shaken their heads no. But anyway, the first picture I was committed to pass across the table was a picture of Freddie, four years old, big smile, full of life, no arms. And as I pushed the the picture across the coffee table that sat between me and them, I just stated the obvious, a beautiful little boy, full of life, birth defect. He was born with no arms. Seconds passed, but they felt more like minutes. I could feel my own heart beating, she said. Expecting the same answer had gotten over and over. And finally, it was the husband who broke the silence, who had said almost nothing to this point. But he only responded with one word. Soccer. (laughs) And his wife says, what? And he said, soccer. Soccer. You don't have to have arms to play soccer. And she smiled and she said, That's right. Soccer it is. We'd love to have him. A little boy who could do nothing about his situation. Completely helpless. Helpless. But a man and a woman comes all the way to where he is. That's prevenient grace. What happens before, something else can take place. And, and here's, here's really good news. Now we get to celebrate it. I love this. We get to come together and we get to say, I know what provenient grace is because God came to me and he loved me and he drew me and he created this desire in me to be forgiven of sin and he put a desire in me to know him and he put a desire in me to serve him. I know what it is and now we get to celebrate together as a family. And so I don't do this very often, but today I'm going to do this and just say, if you want to receive the elements down at the altar today, you can. You can just come in a moment when everybody stands or whenever you want to come, and you can come and kneel here. And it may be that there would be somebody who would say, God's been coming to me. Rick, he's been talking to me. He's been wooing me. He's been loving me. He's been calling me to live for him. He's been calling me to get out of my sin He's been coming to me. I know what provenient grace is. I understand it because I've been living in the midst of it. And if today you want to come and you want to kneel at the altar and you want to receive that forgiveness, you can and respond to the grace that he's offering you. Or if you want to come and pray for any reason, you can. Otherwise, we're going to serve you right where you are. So stand with me, if you will. And everybody who's going to help us, come now. In our church, we practice open communion. You don't have to be a member of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene to receive the elements. I would say this to you. If you are sincerely, sincerely seeking Jesus with all of your heart, then just join us. But if you feel you should let it pass by you this morning, please don't feel obligation. Just let it pass by you, okay? You'll receive two cups, one stacked on the other. In the bottom cup, there's bread. If you'll just put that in your hand. You can even put the cups back together. And just wait with me. And after everybody is served, we will celebrate together. Okay? So we receive his grace together even as we receive the elements today. Jesus was with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And he took the cup and he said this is my blood that is poured out for the ransom of many. Drink it all of you. And so today I'd like to offer a closing prayer, okay? That's how we'll end our time together. So, Father, we want to say thank you. We want you to know the gratitude that we feel in our hearts. To think that when we could do nothing about our situation, you did it. (laughs) Wow. You came to us, you came to where we were, you came all the way to where we were. and you created us in us, this desire, and you made us aware of our need. And you drew us and you loved us to yourself. Wow, we are so thankful, we are so humbled. Who are we, God, that you would come to us. Thank you. And thank you that we could come and come to know Jesus because of your grace and believe on Jesus because of your grace. And that our lives could no longer be out of sorts, but be right. And that we could be who we were intended to be. And the brokenness could be fixed. We're so grateful. And so hear our hearts, Lord. We're saying thank you. And so for the person in the room today, Lord, I want to pray a moment that may i have said during this whole experience, God, you've been coming to me. You've been talking to me. You've been loving me. And this morning I'm saying yes to your grace. I'm asking for forgiveness of sins. Work in their hearts now. And save them from their sins. Let them be born again, even in this moment. And restore them to the person you created them to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody together said, Amen. God bless you.
0: You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.